0: Stanford University. Tonight's uh, speaker, uh, Dr. Bijana Qayvi, is an independent scholar uh, who was uh, for a while part of uh, the faculty at the University of Hamburg. Uh, I have to say that uh, we owe his presence here to uh, Mr. Bezaei's uh ever voracious appetite for reading. Uh, He had read many of uh, Professor Ghebi's works and he suggested that uh, we must have him as a part of this uh, lecture series and fortunately Professor Ghebi could uh, accept our invitation. Uh, He has a doctorate degree in Iranian studies uh, from uh, uh, Germany. Uh, He has written extensively uh, on aspects of uh, ancient Iranian history, on Zoroastrianism, on texts lost and recovered uh, about Iran's uh, forgotten uh, imperial uh, days of uh, greatness. Uh, and uh, he is also very involved with Ferdowsi, he is uh, part of the Ferdowsi Foundation in uh, Germany and I saw that they just recently had a celebration, uh, I think for the publication of the last volume of uh, uh, so So. Uh, Tonight, as you know, he's going to talk about, we kindly asked him to talk about something that would have both relevance uh, to uh, current uh, realities and the past, and the subject that he's uh, picked is the veil, its history and iconography in ancient Iran. So please join me in welcoming Dr. Kaib.
1: Thank you for your kind words, Dr. Mirani. Ladies and gentlemen, I have prepared my speech as you may see in Persian. And only today I was told that many of you uh, might not uh, be able to understand Persian. So, I had a problem. How to do it that you both may uh, profit from it? So I decided to just look at my text and try to uh, say that in English. I do apologize for my crude English, and I hope you get used to it. You can
0: also teach in Persian before you begin. Well,
1: we have here the blackboard, and (laughs) I wouldn't mind. (laughs) Uh, Thanks to the Islamic Revolution of Iran, More than 30 years ago, the word languages have been enriched with a new loan word, that is, that is, Uh, As a matter of fact, this is not the only word that uh, we use uh, to describe uh, a certain garment with which women uh, carry or put on. If we examine the uh, classical Persian literature, we come across a large number of uh, words and expressions uh, that uh, are related to, to these garments. For example, pardī, burqa, chador, ruband, Qasab, Me'jar, Niqab, and so forth and so forth. Uh, the most common word is, of course, Chador, which is nowadays also used. The oldest uh, texts in which the word Chador occurs are uh, the Middle Persian texts. For example, we have a story in Middle Persian about a certain sorcerer, Acht, who uh, invades a city, and uh, starts to kill the people of this city because they cannot answer his questions. One of the citizens of this city is called yosh uh, and he is the only one who is able to answer the question of Acht, and he puts him to death. One of the personalities that also uh, occurs in this uh, story is the wife of this sorcerer, which is uh, who is uh, called Hufario, and uh, she has to also answer the questions of Acht. And in uh, one place, we read when she wants to give the answer, uh, a quote: "Chador va the discord. That is, she puts her chador on and gave the answer. So here we have uh, quite clear evidence that the women in ancient Persia uh, put also chador on. However, let's not forget that she was not an ordinary woman, but the wife of the ruler of, of, a, of a of a town of a city. We have another text in Middle Persian from the, it was written four centuries after the Islamization of Persia and it contains uh, answers of a Zoroastrian priests to the questions that the Zoroastrians had put. Uh, One of these um, questions concerns the uh, clothes of a woman who has uh, uh, had her menstruation. And the question is how these clothes should be cleansed. And the priest gives the answer. That's according to the uh, laws and regulations of the religion. And uh, then he says, quote... Term, such as Chador, Sarband and Vashamak here we have two more expressions for the garments that the women uh, wore at that time Vashamak is, occurs also in another text we uh, this is a new Persian text. However, uh, it is based on a uh, last Middle Persian text and originally from the Parthian period. There we read: "Azon hamon A messenger gave the lover, Ramin, the shirt and va of his beloved, Viz. In this Ramin. Uh, we also come across the word cha-dur again. Uh, 40 uh, brave men were supposed to occupy a castle so they put on chador and disguised themselves as women so they could just uh, go into the castle and occupy it. The, in this uh, poem, Chadar is rhymed with de var, so this is another pronunciation of Chadur. However, in the Middle Persian text, it is clearly And uh, Now we take a look at some pictures and see whether they confirm our literary evidences. Is from the, uh, oh, oh, sorry. this is from the oh this is from the period <coughs> we see two women uh, and two horses and uh, as you see they have um, a kind of garments which covers actually the back of them and parts of the of the hair the, the faces are of course uncovered and uh, this, I would say, is uh, also a kind of show door of that time. Uh, they have um, hold their hands like this, I think, as a gesture of greetings. Uh, this shows the um, inside of the royal family, uh, again from the Achymanian period. Uh, on the left side we see uh, I would say the queen sitting on a chair. And again, she has this chador. Uh, uh, In front of uh, her, there is uh, a maid. And on the right side, we have probably the uh, princess. Uh, She has a crown uh, upon uh, her head, but uh, I think no chador. And this is a, a, a servant of the royal family, and uh, uh, we we can see her hairs, but she, she has a kind of hat or cap or on her ha- uh, head. Uh, again, a picture of the royal family. Uh, in the middle, we have two queens, uh, not only with the crown, but again with chador hanging behind them, and to the left and to the right, we have two princesses with crowns without any chador, so the hairs are quite visible. And uh, uh, these statues uh, show also uh, women of the royal family uh, from the Parthian period, and as you see, they also carry a kind of chador, however, They have tried to make this chador as high as possible through some arrangements uh, on the heads. This is a mosaic uh, from the southern part of Mesopotamia and uh, again we see uh, these uh, two women to the left and to the right with chador and quite high uh, on the heads. So uh, these uh, evidences show us that the women at that time, especially the women of the royal family and uh, at least of, uh, and also of the aristocratic families, they uh, used to uh, put a kind of chador on their heads. Uh, From the Greek sources we also have information about how the women uh, in Persia at that time uh, looked like. For example, uh, we know from Plutarch that uh, the wife of Artaxerxes II used to uh, be in a carriage when she was outside, and uh, she ordered that the curtains of the carriage be uh, pushed aside or rolled up so the, the women of the, uh, in the streets could uh, come to uh, her and see her and talk with her. This is why she was uh, especially popular among the Persians. Uh, this means uh, she did not have any, any child or that covered her face or her uh, body. Also, from the Sasanian times, we have uh, images. For example, this one is this, this uh, coin from uh, Bahram II. And we see also his wife, the queen, and the crown prince. The queen has only a kind of hat on her head, which looks like an animal. And this is uh, also from the Sasanian period, uh, which shows a woman with uh, some arranged uh, hairs. This is a silver play, a silver bowl from the Sasanian period, uh, which shows some magical ceremonies, probably to honor the god of uh, moon, because. As you see, we have two crescents of moon, up and down. Uh, There are women without chador, but there are also two women who carry chadors, and uh, the way that the hairs uh, are covered. Uh, As I said, they also have some uh, instruments in their hands, and they are performing some uh, magical ceremonies. Uh, if we turn to Sharaf Nome for Nizami, a book from about uh, the 11th century uh, there Nizami uh, tells us about a, a kind of a ceremony which was done at the Nourouz uh, when the New Year, uh, New Year be- began uh, at this time the unmarried women used to uh, make themselves uh, beautiful and come to the streets without uh, uh, any chador and uh, they began to dance and uh, uh, make uh, themselves uh, very beautiful so uh, uh, it's it, it was a kind of carnival, I would say, at that time. And uh, interestingly enough, it says when Alexander uh, occupied Persia, he uh, was against this uh, uh, this custom. Chonandot va monshah-e nikhro, ke rast-e moghan <laughs> kesh nayarad bejoi, ke ram-e adusane poushi derouy be madar namayand rokh-yab shouy. Be din-e hanifiy panehavarend ham-e poush dar mehromahavarend. So Alexander uh, said that the um, unmarried women should uh, show their faces only to their husbands or to their mothers, and uh, they should uh, accept the religion of Islam, Dina Hanifi, and their back to the religion of their ancestors. This is, of course, very funny because Alexander had nothing to do with the religion of Islam. Important is that in Nezomi's book uh, we first have this allusion to this carnival and second that it was forbidden to do it in the Islamic period. Uh, let's now take a... Uh, look at the situation of uh, women uh, among other uh, people of uh, of the past and how uh, they looked like uh, whether they carried shadows or any kind of veil or not. We have uh, a code of law from the Assyrian period from the middle of the second millennium before Christ. There we read, for example, the uh, Women who uh, goes to the streets, if they are married, should cover their heads. If they are not married, they can leave their heads uncovered. Or, in the case of uh, prostitutes, uh, they should not wear any veil and their faces should uh, be visible. Uh, In the case of prostitutes, we uh, read uh, quite opposite of it, for example, in, in the Old Testament. In the Genesis, we may have, some of you may know the story of uh, Tamar. Uh, her husband was dead and she did not have uh, any child, so she disguised herself as a prostitute and went to the gate of the city. There we read, she took off her widow's garment covered herself with a veil and wrapped herself and sat in an open place which was on the way to Timna. So we uh, learn from that that uh, among the Hebrews the prostitutes uh, put uh, a veil uh, on and they covered their faces. Uh, in, uh, we have more information about the uh, Greek women uh, the Greek uh, women who were married used uh, almost all uh, of their time at home if they wanted to come to the streets they had to wear uh, a veil but the unmarried women could come uh, out uh, without any veil uh, in uh, in the book of Moralia by Plutarch we read, uh, someone asked why uh, why the uh, unmarried uh, women come to the streets without veil and the married women come to the streets with veils and uh, the other one answered because the unmarried uh, women should uh, find a husband and the married women should try to be loyal to their husbands Uh, This is from Mesopotamia, and uh, two scribes are writing down what uh, uh, they have captured after a war. Uh, Among them, we see uh, a few women on a carriage uh, with with veils. So these women were captured. This is a Greek painting and show uh, on the right side a woman with a veil. This is another one. And these are also Greek women and we see uh, in some cases they uh, covered uh, almost the whole uh, body and only the face was uh, uncovered. This is a Roman uh, woman. Again, with a kind of veil, a kind of garment that covered the whole body. And this is also a Roman statue. And uh, as we see, uh, except the face, everything is covered. It reminds us somehow on the uh, uh, nouns of the Christianity in, in the later period. Uh, if we spread uh, the veil that a woman uh, carries uh, and hang it uh, on a doorway, so we can, uh, so many people, many women can hide uh, themselves behind uh, this curtain. According to uh, an Arabic uh, source called Al Al the first. One who put women behind the curtain was Bivarasp. Bivarasp is another name for Zahog, which in, in the later developments, became the usurper of the Persian throne. So he was, according to, the, to this tale, the first uh, uh, the, uh, the one that uh, uh, made a harem for women. In a Persian in the Middle Persian text uh, we also see that this Zahok or Bivarasp is called Padeshabestan, which means the lords of of the harem. And this is something apparently something to do with the the two women, Shahnoz and Arnavoz, that belong to the king that uh, he had conquered. Interestingly enough, putting a curtain in a harem became a, a tradition that uh, was observed up until the end of the uh, Qajar period uh, which was ended in 1924. We have an account of the, about the last uh, prince of the Qajar dynasty that had to leave Iran and uh, there we read the, uh, the prince wanted to go to the haram to say goodbye to, to the women there and the, uh, the military uh, security the security person uh, was ashamed to follow him to the harem. And uh, I forgot to say uh, the, the prince uh, uh, went uh, put uh, the, the scarlet curtain aside and went into the harem. mes, So the color of the curtain that was uh, uh, hung in the harem was apparently red. I uh, remember quite well uh, uh, when I was a child and living in the south of Tehran, uh, in our neighborhood, uh, there was a house. And the door of this house was uh, uh, almost always open. However, there was a thick curtain right be- behind the door so you could never see what's going on in the house. And uh, I think this is also a very old uh, tradition because, Ya yeah, Ruby uh, writes in, um, in his book Castles of ancient Persians did not have doors. Uh, instead of doors, there had uh, curtains. Uh, curtains uh, were also hung in the uh, courts of the kings, also in the Islamic period. Uh, they were called toradir or the um, and a moment something else. Anyway, the. The person who was in charge of, uh, of this curtain was called Hajib or Padidar, and uh, it was uh, very important because he was the one that uh, decided what should, uh, uh, who should be allowed to go to the presence of the king. Uh, putting veils and uh, hiding the face was not only uh, observed in the society, but also in religious uh, practice. Uh, Paulus the Apostle writes in one of his uh, letters, when a a man worships uh, the god, he should not cover uh, his head. But when a woman uh, worships uh, god, she should cover her head. And then uh, she explains why a woman should cover uh, her head because of the of the power that is in her head and because of the angels. Now, the uh, commentators of the uh, Holy Scripture uh, have uh, uh, tells us that uh, here Paulus refers to the veil. And um, the angels uh, are here a euphemism for the demons. Now, why is there a a relationship between the hairs of a woman and the demons? Uh, We have uh, many uh, evidences that uh, try to show this uh, relationship. For example, in a commentary to the Quran, we read the following. Uh, Muhammad had many times a revelation. It was Gabriel who appeared to him, and every time he was very much afraid. Once Khadija, his first wife, uh, told him the following. When next time you have this revelation, let it me know. After a while, Gabriel appeared to Muhammad again. Muhammad told Khadija that I have this revelation and this person is there. Khadija did the following. He put away her veil and uncovered her hairs. And instantly, this uh, Gabriel disappeared. Then Khadija told Muhammad, do not be afraid. This was an angel. If uh, this was a demon, he would have stayed there. Uh, Interesting enough, uh, sometimes uh, hairs were regarded also as something divine. We all know the uh, the story of uh, Samson and Delilah from the Old Testament, Samson or Simson had long hairs and uh, the reason for his power were in the hairs. When they were cut he was no longer uh, so uh, powerful at all. And as we know there are still uh, uh, religious groups in which the followers uh, do not cut or uh, cut their hairs or shave them. For example, the Sikhs of India. There are also people who who uh, do not uh, cut their fingernails. This is because the hairs and fingernails uh, grow independent uh, independently from us, and this has uh, given them a kind of magical uh, appearance. Uh, in Persian there is uh, an insult or there was nowadays, maybe not anymore if a woman uh, had uh, extramarital uh, affairs uh, she was called you with cut hairs and as we might know that uh, uh, such women were punished by when, uh, by cutting their hairs and this was uh, practiced uh, Uh, still in the 19th century and also in Europe. Now we have uh, the hairs of a woman, woman, on the one hand they are proud of their hairs, on the other hand they have to cover it. Mm -hmm. And this is what Paulus the Apostle also refers to it. we all uh, n- uh, have seen in the films for example when a, a woman and a man are going to make love uh, the first thing that uh, the woman does uh, tries to uh, let her hairs follow upon her shoulders and uh, this we also uh, find in the literature for example how uh, uh, describes uh, his uh, beloved as uh, uh, a woman uh, that uh, her hairs are not fixed but they are all over her. Uh, So it should not be uh, astonishing that uh, when we look at the paintings that show Maria, especially in the pre-Renaissance period, we always uh, see Maria uh, with a veil uh, upon uh, her head uh, when she is uh, uh, receiving the Holy Spirit or when she is together with Jesus as a child. Uh, as a matter of fact, in the Persian uh, poetry we also uh, there are also allusions to Chador Mariam, uh, Maria's Chador. For example, um, Sanae says, and uh, he uh, compares uh, uh, his poetry with the, uh, with the veil of uh, Maria. Uh, he tries to say uh, the meaning of my words are hidden behind the words. The words are a kind of veil that cover uh, the true meaning of them. Oh. This uh, is a uh, we'll state. Uh, Elohi. This picture was taken in 1922 in Tehran, and it uh, it says uh, uh, he has uh, not uh, shaved his. Uh, cut his hair or shed his hair since uh, he was six years old. And uh, the, we know that the, uh, dervi, some of the dervishes also let their hairs uh, grow. This is a picture from a uh, Fakir uh, in India in the 19th century. And as we see, uh, his fingernails are also grown because he had uh, stopped uh, cutting it. I have it cut. This is a uh, Maria with Jesus, and uh, this is the garment of Maria, as we see. Uh, her hair is covered, and this is uh, Child Maria. And this is a, the inside of a church in Persia in the. Um, uh, Mongolian period, about uh, 13th or 14th century, and as we see up there, there is also uh, an organ, and uh, what's important is, is the picture of Maria in, uh, with uh, Chador, uh, with Jesus as a child. Uh, this is also Maria, by uh, Antonello da Messina. Uh, The Holy Spirit has appeared to her. She is uh, uncomfortable. With one hand, she tries to keep him away. With the other hand, he holds his chador uh, upon uh, her head. And as we see, we don't uh, see her hairs. Now we jump to the 20th century. Uh, I was uh, I told you about the uh, women uh, of uh, the, the hairs of a woman how they can uh, sexually arise men, and this was uh, uh, so that uh, even the hairs of a woman were uh, uh, described as uh, as snakes. And uh, for example, in the Greek mythology, we have a, a Medusa. With her hairs as as uh, snakes, and this is a modern uh, portrait of Medusa. As a matter of fact, in the uh, portrayal portrayal of Medusa in the antique, we almost always see uh, her face also uh, not uh, ugly. Only in the later time they try to uh, to portray her face also as horrible. Uh, Now let's uh, see what kind of uh, role the veil plays in Islam. Uh, Let's start with uh, with the Quran. Uh, There we uh, read the following: Tell the believers that they could, that they should cast their looks down, and tell the women that they should not uh, uncover their beauties, and they, sh- they should put something upon their chests, and they should uh, uncover their beauties only to their husbands or to their fathers uh, it seems that in the uh, arabia at the time of uh, the prophet muhammad there was a kind of uh, a sexual uh, freedom and uh, women uh, try to uh, show their beauties and uh, so that they could marry easily. Uh, in another place in the Quran says, uh, O Prophet, uh, tell your <coughs> women and your daughters and the uh, women and the daughters of the believers to hide themselves in their garments so that they could be recognized. So it was a sign of uh, the Islam at the time uh, that uh, the women uh, had to uh, hide themselves from the blick of the strange man. Uh, Muhammad was especially concerned uh, about uh, his own wives because in the Quran Quran it says uh, those of you who are believers do not go in the house of the Prophet in case, only when you are invited, because the Prophet do not have, does not have enough time. But if you are invited, go there, and after you have eaten, uh, go away again. And do not stay there, because it bothers the Prophet. He is ashamed to say that to you, but Allah is not uh, ashamed to tell, to tell the truth and whenever you ask something from the women uh, from the wives of the prophet do that from behind the curtain men varo hijab this is purer for your hearts and purer for their hearts in order to uh, understand what the quran says uh, let uh, me tell you that uh, uh, muhammad's house was uh, At the same time, the mosque, the first mosque in Islam. And the believers used to go there to do the worshipping. And the women of uh, the Prophet were also living there. So uh, they had the possibility to also uh, have conversations with the wives of the Prophet. Uh, In a book, the Muluk from the 11th century, we have the following uh, story. Once uh, the Prophet came uh, home and he saw a man sitting among uh, his wives, but he was blind. Muhammad uh, told uh, his wife, his youngest wife Aisha, Uh, he uh, says why, why is it like this and Ayesha said he doesn't see us Muhammad said but you see him
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: and we have another version of this in Rumi's Masnavi however with uh, 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 some changes uh, Muhammad came home and he sees the man there but he wants to try uh, his wives uh, he uh, tells Ayesha, why are you hiding? Ayesha says, uh, oh, why are you hiding? He is blind. Uh, Ayesha uh, said, uh, he is blind, but I am not. So we have a, little, a different version of this. Uh, we have a book uh, published in 1942 by Nabia Abbott, Aisha, the Beloved of Muhammad. And in this book, uh, uh, Abbott had uh, already written uh, enough about Muhammad, his wives, and why he tried to separate his wives uh, from the from the society. <coughs> and what's interesting about this book there is the following. He says the reason that uh, he did it was not only uh, his love for women, but uh, he knew that uh, this was a custom, among some other nations, uh, that uh, the women uh, carried veils and uh, they were uh, separated from the society, so uh, Muhammad felt himself not only as a prophet of the god, but as a king of his people. So he wanted to treat his wives as a king does his queens. That's why they had to hide themselves behind a curtain. And this is the origin of what we call, as the Islamic, hijab. job. <clears throat> uh, this uh, separation of women from the society has also some other effects. Um, we know that in the ancient Greek, in the uh, Hellenistic period, and we a- already mentioned it, the women were uh, mostly at home and uh, there was also a kind of a, uh, uh, militaristic uh, situation there. And uh, as we know in the nature, it is. Uh, there is always a kind of um, the, the, the number of women and uh, men are usually the same but if in a society the women are separated from uh, the men there arises also some uh, unusual sexual behavior and this is what we uh, know from uh, the uh, Uh, Iranian society in the Islamic time. uh, This is, uh, especially in the uh, Sufi literature, uh, there are enough uh, allusions to uh, what we know as pederasty, the sexual um, uh, relationships between men and young uh, boys. For example, we have uh, this uh, story in uh, Rumi's Masnavi, once a man goes uh, uh, to a group of people and uh, he sees that they are women, all beautiful women. One of them tells him, see, we are so beautiful, and you still go to uh, the boys. And. Uh, it was also a custom that even the boys uh, carried veils at that time when they went out uh, So Uh, There was a Christian, young boy, he was uh, so beautiful that when his veil was uh, cast away, his face uh, was like the sun uh, at night. There was also another reason that uh, the children uh, had veils upon um, their faces, and that was because of the evil eye. This uh, sexual behavior was uh, accepted in the Iranian society in the Islamic time up until the end of the uh, Qajar period. Uh, The um, uh, uh, the, uh, influence of the European life and the uh, emancipation of women at the time of Reza Shah um, was instrumental that this sexual behavior was no longer practiced or accepted. We take a look now at some more pictures from the women of the Islamic period. As you see, here is a typical uh, Chador on the left side. However, the young woman who is sitting on a carpet uh, has slightly lighter kind of chador. This is a famous story of Bijan and Manijeh from the uh, Shahnameh, and Bijan is uh, under the um, earth, in a shaft, and Manijeh is in a chador uh, crying. This is from the 19th century. Shows a man and his wife in the streets. The man is totally hidden behind burqa uh, and chadur and niqab and everything. This is a man and uh, his wife uh, at home. Uh, as you see, the woman has a transparent uh, garment And this is not the imagination of the painter. We have accounts of the 19th century from the European travelers that were astounded when uh, they had the chance uh, to go to the andarun or to the women's uh, houses. And they have written in their uh, books uh, about uh, this kind of uh, dress that showed Almost everything that a woman had. <laughs> <laughs> this is a harem, a typical uh, harem of uh, in the nineteenth uh, century. Uh, and uh, uh, let's see this this instrument that is lying on, on the floor is also not uh, simply there. Uh, uh, since these women in the harems had nothing to do, they tried at least to. to Uh, play some music and learn some instruments this is a woman also in the 19th century from Bukhara in Central Asia and this is also a typical Persian woman of the 19th century uh, in 1924, a German woman called uh, anne von Nathusius uh, went uh, to Persia and uh, wrote about uh, the women uh, in uh, her book. At that time Reza Shah had came to power, it was in 1924, and it took him more than 10 years until he could uh, free the Persian women from this bondage that uh, we see. In, uh, he, uh, This uh, woman, Natuzios, uh, had the chance to uh, talk with Reza Shah, and Reza Shah told him why it's uh, not easy to uh, to free uh, Persian women from Chador. Uh, there were two reasons for that, according to Reza Shah. Mufuza or that. It was the influence of religion and uh, habit. In 1936, uh, it was, Reza Shah succeeded to fulfill his wish. And he uh, himself took the first step. In um, January of this year, 1936, he went with his two daughters to open uh, a school for uh, teachers and uh, his daughters had European dress on. Uh, at the same, uh, in the same year, 1936, a book was uh, uh, appeared about uh, Reza Shah by a certain uh, Leon Nussbaum uh, in Berlin. Uh, Nustenbaum uh, writes about uh, an incident at that time. The second woman of Reza Shah went once in, in uh, Rome, the famous religious town in Persia, uh, to uh, to visit a mosque. And she had, of course, no veil and uh, had a European dress. The um, keys, the mullah of the mosque, uh, prevented her to enter the mosque. The the wife of Reza Shah came to a telephone and called uh, Reza Shah on and uh, told him what has happened. Reza Shah uh, did not uh, wait a minute. Uh, He uh, came to uh, Qom and before the believers uh, punished himself, this uh, mullah. Uh, Nusimbaum uh, writes, this is probably the first uh, instance in the history that a king took such an action for the freedom of women. He adds, this had also political advantages because the mullahs learned a good lesson and the women of Persia uh, f- uh, began to progress. Now, uh, before I uh, finish my uh, speech, let's uh, see what we have learned. Putting uh, uh, veils on is uh, an old custom which was uh, practiced Uh, by different people in the past. In Persia, uh, it was uh, the queens and uh, women of the royal families who had this chador on. Uh, There's also another reason that women uh, carry carry a veil because of the... uh, this belief that uh, hairs were the abode of uh, evil powers. So they had to cover them. Uh, With one last picture I would like to finish my speech. This picture is taken in, I would say, 1936 again, at the time of uh, Reza Shah. It is a New Year parade, and uh, this is in Tehran. And men and women uh, have uh, gathered together in European dresses. And this is the uh, result of Reza Shah's action that he took uh, to uh, free women from uh, Chador. What's uh, peculiar about this picture is uh, the fact that you can hardly tell who is European here and who is Persian. And I think this is the point. Uh, One of the um, main critiques of uh, Reza, Reza Shah's uh, regime and also the uh, his son uh, Muhammad Reza Shah is that these uh, kings tried to westernize uh, Iran and they tried to do it as quickly as possible. Uh, I personally do not see it as a as something which was wrong to do. Uh, Persians And Europeans were uh, once the same people. And when they accepted uh, Islam in the 7th century, they separated themselves from the rest of the civilized world. And they became Oriental, as we know them now. So what Reza Shah tried to do was to fill this gap again. What uh, has happened to the Iranian women since the Islamic revolution Revolution is known to all of us, so I don't have to repeat what we already know. I thank you very much for your patience, and I would be glad if you have comments or uh, questions <coughs> to hear them. Thank you very much.
3: I think you mentioned about the job in in early Islam. I read recently a book by Karen Armstrong about Prophet Muhammad. And apparently the job was initially a cupboard or or sort of a, well, in Muhammad's uh, palace. I think you mentioned that. That's the only place that she mentioned in Islam that was the word of hijab. And that actually, that screen or cover was supposed to separate the people who would come to his house during the early you know, days of Islam. So when they retired and they wanted to retreat to their quarters, then they would basically turn this uh, cover down so people would know that this is, you know, this is the time to leave the house. And then she writes that apparently uh, there were two types of women on the streets, and the hijab was for people who, I think you mentioned married or non-married, I think it was according to her, I'm not sure if I understood it correctly, but it was for, for prostitutes who would not wear
1: mm-hmm. uh, it. In, in Arabia at the time of Muhammad? Yes. Mm-hmm
3: this is this
1: is during the early early ages uh, early days of islam you know what marble was in uh, in the quran we have as far as i know three different uh, expressions uh, for hijab one is hijab as you said in this uh, case uh, and, uh, the other one is homr, and the other one is hom and the other one is jilbab or the jilbab and what they really what the difference between these are, I could, I could not uh, say. But hijab could also be, of course, the curtain that uh, was uh, hanging before the women's quarter. Yes. Uh,
4: it seems to me that uh, that covering the hair uh, is uh, an act of modesty and maybe understandable, but. The veil over the face or the burqa obliterates that person as a person in, in, in my view uh, and I noticed that in some of the later pictures in the 19th century there were Persian women who did not have their face covered and then there was one where she was in a burqa.
1: that was probably in the harem oh <coughs> okay. Do you mean this one or
4: no? The one that you just passed, that one, and the one after that. So
1: they are totally covered, of course. They're
4: totally covered, and their faces uh, is covered, so you see only their eyes and
1: their. That's true. So they could. They're not a person. (coughs) No, no, of course not. I mean it. That's why I uh, wanted to show these especially these two, as the person. So was there a distinction made historically or how how, when was it that
4: that the chargura that you were showing earlier which was covering just the hair became a facial
1: it was it was probably a gradual development i would say it started with the hairs and uh, then some more even uh, more parts of the body and sometime the whole face and the whole person, I would say. But when exactly it happens, it should be still uh, studied, I don't know exactly. So uh, what we need is to find more uh, pictorial sources, of course, and to examine them carefully. Could
5: you please comment on the
3: uh, origin as well as the significance of Ma'na'e that you see uh, in a lot of the pictures of this Russian woman
1: culture of the recent uh, centuries is like a semi-chador go over here. How is it in this context? Uh, we know that uh, the Zoroastrian women did not have to uh, put on chador. However, as you said, they had this magnaid. That is true. And uh, as I uh, said in the beginning of my speech, we know that the Zoroastrian women in the early uh, Islamic period, had also a kind of head dressing. Uh, it was called uh, sarband, Vashamag, and chador. So, magne could also be probably one of these. And covering uh, the hairs and the head, as I said, was common in the, among different peoples and also Zoroastrians. Even nowadays, if you go to a Zoroastrian um, uh, worshiping house, you see that the women uh, have a rusari, a scarf upon uh, their heads when they uh, worship. So this must be quite old. Please. Uh, you, made, you made a good mention of the uh,
6: impact of the veil from both, uh, from both social and religious perspective. You also mentioned the growth of a hair and the nail, which is uh, uncontrolled by the human body. Right. So I would take it that uh, part of this uh, covering of the uh, hair and covering of the nail or covering your hands, uh, may have to do with the uh, cleanliness. So to take away uh, what... Uh, or others may have perceived as being uncleanness of the human a kind away from what they worship in their temples, in their mosques, or other areas. Now, uh, another, uh, I want your thought on that, and also the element of sexuality here. So was that the covering of the woman an element of you may consider birth control in a sense to cover them so they don't arrive to the, the men and to create a barrier between these two uh, sexual uh, species and that barrier would help a better or promote a better family or that type of
1: Well, it's a modern interpretation maybe of, of this separation of women from men
6: ha you told that have you studied that um, have you come up
1: what is it exactly that you mean well, you see, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry but
6: yeah well, you see, uh, you could get a bit involved here because then we have to go back to the sociology you have to go back to anthropology and the human evolution and then culture and uh, that aspect of this whole story. And yes, we know the history, the Roman history, and how the Roman uh, Empire had a different type of uh, sexual relationship in its uh, uh, kingdom, and then how the society uh, behaved, which was then different. Okay. Going back to Israel as an Abrahamic uh, religion, we know that the, uh, the Jews at the time also had this covering, and now we see that through uh, Maryam that you also showed that he was also covered as, basically, as a Jew. And that's transmitted to Muhammad, who basically based his religion on the interpretation of Judaism. So... Uh,
1: I did not say that the Jews or the Hebrews covered their faces. I said, according to the Old Testament, the prostitutes had to cover themselves whether the Hebrew women also covered themselves. I can't say, but probably not, because it, it was the prostitutes who covered themselves. So, and this is also quite clear, because they did not want to be recognized. <laughs> guess so. <laughs> As to the birth control, I don't know. <sighs> it could be.
0: <laughs> Please. I have a, a couple of uh, brief comments. One is I, I was surprised you made no mention of Qura This is a woman who unveiled herself in mid-19th century and she did it voluntarily. Uh, and she did it two years before Seneca Falls. So it isn't something that you could say it came from the West. Uh, moreover, there, there is a lot of evidence that after Qura from 1850s to 1936, Iranian women were beginning to push for their rights. It wasn't a Reza Shah that did, uh, that did it only from the top to the bottom. We have evidence people going to the Dozi conference in 1935, women without bail.
1: 1935 China. was already to the time of Reza Be Shah?
0: Before order. At two women went and participated in the conference and challenged them on and these were normal women in other words there was something happening from below and uh, Reza Shah I think made it uh, and then also I think you implied something about pederasty uh, having something to do with the coming of Islam uh,
2: mm, one of the
0: most I... important works of Plato is about pederasty and how true love can only be about between an old man
1: and a young boy. It has, I think, nothing to do with Islam. Uh, Islam might have confused everything, but there was talk of it in it was that That's right. I also mentioned that in ancient Greek it was like that. Maybe I forgot to tell that. But uh, let, now, since you are an expert of the modern uh, Iran and also in the, of the Iran in the 19th century, I would like to quote something from uh, Iraj Mirza. Miraj was a famous poet uh, from the early 20th century and uh, he was also against uh, hijab. So he might also be considered as one of the forerunners of, of uh, the freedom of women. That's uh, without any question. But he, um, he says Hijab ma Pesarha ra shab تو بینیم پستشوک است و شنگی است برای اشوازدیتن گشنگی است ندیدی خواهر بیمه اجارش رو که تو دیوانه گری خواهرش اشل. اینو هم آقای ایرجمنزاد گفته. ایرجمنزادی سپم سعی از آدرس. For, for those of you who did, uh, did not understand me, Ijaj Meza addresses the pederasts. He says, oh, you are fond of uh, boys with beautiful uh, faces. Go and see how beautiful their sisters are. <laughs> then you fall in love with them. And with will air, that's true. I haven't uh, mentioned many things, of course, uh, in my speech. Uh, I personally... Have uh, not studied uh, what Koratolean uh, did from uh, primary sources, and this is why I I did not want to mention it. But as far as I have read, she unveiled herself in in public, as far as I know, in uh, in the middle of the, in the second half of the 19th century. But as I said, I don't know of any. Uh, Primary sources that uh, could confirm this. I don't. We have, uh, though, uh, a picture of her. I think in in a French uh, book uh, uh, from Madame de Olafour, but I I think uh, she is pictured there with a scarf uh, upon her uh, head. But I am not sure. Please. Uh.
2: About uh, women's movement, Uh, this was common in the Middle East, at least in in Egypt, Uh, it was manifest in Egypt in the early early 1900s, where, uh, and was accumulated by uh, a movement to take away the veil. Uh, It was not just limited to...
1: Uh, Iran. No, no, of of course not. I, uh, of course, uh, I concentrated on Iran
2: in in
1: this respect.
2: In in a similar vein, in Egypt amongst the upper classes in the 1800s and early 1900s and prior, the women, rich women in the cities had the uh, on their balconies, the wooden Uh, carving which kind of let the light in air, but they wouldn't be seen. In the countryside, where I come from, where my family for generations has come from, no such thing. People just had to work in the fields.
1: Of course, this was especially visible in the cities that the women had to cover themselves. As to Egypt, well, we know that Egypt uh, belonged to the, uh, the Ottoman Empire, and Egypt came uh, very early in contact with the European uh, style of uh, life through Napoleon, and uh, later on through the um, in the uh, British Empire. That's true, and also it was uh, true in, in the Turkey. Excuse me, how did Rosario run the uh,
0: act?
5: of revolution, did he go to the villages also or just was, I mean, did he was really intensive enough,
1: uh, do you think, it, or? Well, it's a good question. I don't know much about it. I don't know how uh, how the coverage of uh, this act was in Iran, but uh, apparently uh, it covered the whole land. In the villages, probably not, because in the villages the women, as uh, you said, they were uh, almost always uh, free from veil because they had to also work in the fields and this uh, made it uh, difficult for them to carry, a, to, to have a veil and at the same time work uh, in the fields. Uh, this I cannot tell how uh, deep Reza Shah's Revolution was, and how uh, the coverage was. This has to be also studied.
5: Uh, going back to the pre Islamic era, you showed
3: artifacts, historic artifacts that showed women. Was it a special occasion type of coverage, or was it customary and how popular it was? Are there uh, uh, um, anything? And also, another aspect of my question among other cultures of the same time, like Eastern or Roman cultures, I mean, how widespread was this? Customary
1: color. Uh, as far as I know in among the uh, royalty er, in the royal houses it was uh, a custom in Iran we have the uh, evidences from the Achamenian period and the Parthian period uh, in the sasanian period I don't know we, as far as I know we do not have enough ma- uh, pictorial material. Uh, In uh, Rome and in Greek, we have enough material, and it was apparently very common that the women covered themselves. But as I said, it was uh, especially the married women that had to carry veils, not the unmarried women. How about
5: eastern?
1: Pardon me? How about eastern of China? Oh, Oh, I... I don't know anything about China and how it was there. Please.
5: I would like to make a comment on the last point you made about the Persians being the same people as Europeans or Westerners. Um, I mean, we would like to think that way. racially sure. and linguistically just uh, the case. But as far as I know, at least the Hellenistic Greeks give the account that the, the Persians were different. They were the the counterpole of the the Greeks because of the Sasha root and the um uh, uh, the root of this part. And later on during the fighting and the they kept doing that, the Sassanis were there. the the pole the, poor, uh, if the, if the opposi- opposition of the Romans. Not saying that the Romans were the good guys, but I mean we, we have long been against the, the European Westerners. It makes sense culturally as uh, well, politically.
1: Do we find this in the Greek sources?
5: Yeah, <laughs> uh, uh, I mean, oh, the they say clearly that when he was elected, I think as the, the story that when he was elected, actually decided, the Christian decided not to go this democratically. It is funny.
1: Pardon me, when he was, uh, who was elected?
5: Sarish huh. When he was elected, uh, the Persians uh, had the question put to them whether they wanted to go, uh, like, uh, the city had the city rules and the democracy of the citizens or uh, the rule of the uh, the discord. And they do that. I'm not saying that their account is correct. Uh, the real, the real, the real
1: this is how the Greek thought at that time. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm.
5: But this, this um, cultural opposition has existed before stopped.
1: Right? Of I course, think. there were cultural oppositions. But as we, as we saw there, especially in Greece, The women had to cover themselves and stay at home. It is actually like the Islamic uh, countries uh, at our time.
5: So if you look
1: at this way, the Greeks were like Orientals of the present uh, time. (laughs) And now now it is too. Please
0: go ahead.
1: Oh we have time for one more question, question,
6: please. Is there a correlation between the timeline when women began to cover up and Western women began to uncover? Is there a trajectory between those two points?
1: what western women I don't in other words, what
6: because there was a time when there was something similar the shador but then it changes and it becomes something else like you said there's an evolution but you can't say exactly how it evolved but then in western countries like for example in italy ancient greeks would come and then women would always cover themselves and then slowly over time you see there's an uncovering even when you would go to church you might not have right. fully covered but just a small thin veil on your head
1: it's, it's quite interesting if you uh, examine the pre-Renaissance portrayal of Maria and uh, just follow it in the Renaissance period and, uh, and after that, uh, uh, you see that the, uh, the coverage of Maria it becomes even less and less, and, less, and then sometimes uh, she has no veil at all. And I think this also reflects the society in which this uh, portrayal was was done. And uh, in the Iranian pictures, I don't know, we see women always with something upon their heads. And uh, in one of the miniatures, we saw two types of women Some of them had uh, something small on their hairs, and some some of them were totally covered. And this might also refer to their social status and to their marital status. I hope it was satisfactory.